Psalm 119, 33 to 36. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of God to his people here this morning. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. That sends the reading. God's holy and errant word may bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. I was going to start our message this morning giving you a couple of great examples from uh, brothers who went before us and who put into practice in their lives uh, the very principles we talked about in the last two sermons of committing God's word to memory. And one example was William Wilberforce who had a really horrible day at work, as it were, um, in the government in England. And he, when he's walking home, he said, um, said something to the effect of, went through Psalm 119 in my memory on my way home from work. And he said it was a real encouragement to me. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, the guy memorized Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. But he talked about how that was such a blessing to him. The other one I was going to open up with was C.S. Lewis, who in some ways he's a cheater because he had a, a photographic memory. But the story's told of um, he was upstairs in a hotel room, a bed and breakfast, and someone downstairs heard him praying aloud the Psalms. So he was another one who took to heart what we're talking about. He hid God's word in his heart. But then he did something besides just memorizing it and meditating on it. He prayed it up to the Lord. So his prayers were guided by the inerrant word of God, which I just thought was neat. But I was going to start that way, um, and I cheated because I kind of did, but I'm not going to. This is where I, wanted to I want to start because I, I don't want you to miss this as we go into it. If you remember last week, some of you may remember, I gave an illustration of a young lady, young girl who went off to college for the first time. Maybe some of you remember I talked about that in the sermon. And if you remember, I said it was her first time away from home. She lived in a little town. Her, she came from a farming family. Her mom and her dad and her siblings stayed home. The siblings didn't go to school, but they worked hard so that they could support their one daughter to go in the medical field so she could um, just have a great start in life, but more importantly, she could be a blessing to the world with the skills and the, and the gifts and the education that they were able to give her. And if you remember, I mentioned that this was before the days of social media, before the internet, and so the only way to communicate with her, and they didn't have the money to be able to travel, is they would send her letters. If you remember, I told you she cherished those letters more than almost her daily food. She couldn't wait. She would stand at the post office, or, or right by the mailbox, excuse me, just waiting to see if she had another letter. Because school was hard. She didn't always fit in with the other students. She was a, a, a small town girl. 
And as she went through her studies, a lot of times she had doubts, she had struggles, and there were times she just wondered if it was worth staying the course. But those letters that kept coming, she memorized those letters because they were words of encouragement. They were words of keep on keeping on. We love you. We know you can do this. This is and, and reminders of why she was doing what she was doing. And literally they were that lifeline to keep her going. And I talked about something else that I think is very important. She took those letters, she poured over them, she memorized certain sections of it. Her tears actually stained the paper, and she would keep the letters under her pillow because she treasured them so dearly. Now, why did she treasure those words? Was it that she loved that particular paper? Was she what we would call a bibli idolater, that we idolize a, a, the paper and the book? Some people claim that about us Bible-believing Christians. No, she treasured those words because they were words of her loving family. It wasn't the page, it, was, it wasn't even the word itself, it was the people that were behind those words that meant so much to her, that, listen to this, this is very important, that sacrificed everything so that she could have this opportunity. And so why, brothers and sisters, do we memorize this word? Why do we have the word of God guide our prayers? Because they are the words of who? Our Heavenly Father, who so loved us that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever of us believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I want you to see as we go through Psalm 118, David delighted in God's Word. He loved God's law. He, he was more precious to Him than silver or gold because He delighted in God Himself. Don't miss that. It's not a legalistic thing. He loved God because God had loved him first. Read through the Psalms. Who is God to David? He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my savior. He's my God. He's my king. He's my shepherd. Can I go on? He's my redeemer. And so for David, he memorized, he meditated on, he practiced the word of God because it was the word of his savior. And listen, there contained therein, what was contained therein were the promises as well as the, the law of God. It's the word of the one who saved him by his grace. So I want to read just a few verses so you see that's not just nice talk or my personal opinion and that's the case or trying to give a spin to it, you know, spin doctors. I don't want you to think I'm a spin doctor because I actually hate that. That's what we call deceitfulness. And I don't want you to think that. So Psalm 119, I'm going to just give you a few verses. Verse 2. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Who's he talking about? God. Verse 7. I will praise you, talking to God, with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, guess what? Sin against you. Right? Verse 57, you are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. Very biblical idea in the Old Testament, if you remember uh, the Levites' portion, they didn't have land or anything um, in Israel. Their portion was who? The Lord. And David, incredibly, saying, Lord, out of... You are my portion. You're my great reward. You're what I long for. Nothing else. Verse 58, last one for this. I have sought your face. 
with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. See, David cries out to God in prayer. Literally, what he's doing here is he's singing aloud to prayer set to music. And this is important to see. Not as someone hoping to gain God's favor by obeying God's law. Don't misunderstand it. Not as someone hoping that if he keeps God's precepts, then God will take away his sins and declare him righteous. No, he's doing this because God has already accepted him by faith as a child of his grace. By his grace. Because God has already delivered his soul from death. God has already forgiven him all his sins and saved him out of his sheer covenant mercy and grace. His hesed. His covenant love. So, as we look at this psalm, what is one of the dominant desires, if not the dominant desire, that's expressed in Psalm 119? What's the great cry of David's heart? Listen, here it is. That God would keep David loyal to himself. That he would give him an understanding of his word. Listen, this is important. David wanted an understanding of God's word and the power to flesh it out in his life. Those are the two things, main things. He wanted understanding, to understand it, and he wanted to live it more consistently. He wanted to see it fleshed out, worked out, lived out in his life. J.I. Packer in his classic work, Knowing God, one of the first studies we did as a um, church plant here, I think it's um, such an awesome classic work. Um, every, every Christian who can... Well, it's actually translated in other languages, but every Christian that can should get their hands on that. But well, this is what he writes. Speaking about Psalm 119, by the way. He says, The psalmist's concern to get knowledge about God was not a theoretical, but a practical concern. His supreme desire was to know and enjoy God himself. And he valued knowledge about God simply as a means to this end. He wanted to understand God's truth in order that his heart might respond to it and that his life might be conformed to it. That's gold right there. This morning I'm going to be dealing with the second most powerful habit that if picked up, you know, you know these bad habits we want to get rid of? Well, some, when we do get rid of some of these habits by the grace of God, we've got to pick up the good habits. Because then we want to do something, all right, well, I'm not doing this anymore. I've got to figure something else out to do with my time. Well, here's the good habit, the second good habit, that if you pick up in, in 2018, it literally has the power to change your life. It has the power to transform you. And it's the practice of prayer. And like I said, it's so, oh, yeah, of course, prayer. And yet how many of us actually are passionately engaged in prayer the way that God calls us to. But in particular this morning, we're going to do two messages on it, just like we did two messages on committing God's word to memory. This particular uh, sermon, we're going to be dealing with the prayer to understand God's word and prayer for power to live it out. That's what we're going to be talking about. Prayer to understand God's word and prayer for the power to live it out. Because that's what we see here in Psalm 119. So what we're going to see this morning is as we read, memorize, and meditate on God's word, we pray to God for understanding and the power to live according to it. So let's take a look at this first one, 
We pray for understanding. Two things, only two points this morning. We pray for understanding. First thing I want to mention is that we need to remember that Psalm 119 is a psalm. It's prayer set to music. And St. Augustine once said this. It's the first time I saw this quote from him, by the way. He that sings praise not only sings, but also loves him of whom he sings. That's pretty cool. We sing our songs of praise. I hope for you, it's your way of just expression, expressing your deep love, your devotion, and your adoration to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. So when David prays to understand the law, the decrees, the statues, the words of his covenant-keeping God, he does so with the purpose of bringing his God and Savior glory. Especially by living according to them. Here's a few examples of his prayer for illumination. Verse 18. I'm going to be doing this a little bit through the message, so uh, get comfortable with this. I'm going to be shooting off some of the verses. like Verse 18. Open my eyes that I, may, that I may see wonderful things in your law. Verse 27. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts, then I will meditate on your wonders. Do a lot of meditation on God's wonders, do you? I don't know about you, but I meditate on all kinds of junk. And, I, and then after a while, I'm like, what am I thinking about? What am I doing here? I meditate on your wonders. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Very often in a fallen and a complicated and complex world, we're going to need God's help to understand not only the meaning of his revelation to us, his word, but also especially the wisdom on how to apply it to the messy business of everyday life in a fallen, broken world. Isn't that the challenge? Okay, I understand what this means. Now, what does this mean for me? Or I understand you're saying this, God, but how is this applying to this sticky situation at work? Or this, this tension at church. Or at school. So he sings this in verse 66. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Don't, who here doesn't need good judgment? I need more of that. And so the psalmist is praying that God would give him this good gift of judgment. Verse 34, give me understanding and I will keep your law and I will obey it with all my heart. Why does, listen, here's important. Why is David asking for understanding? So he could show everybody in Bible class how much of the Bible he knows? So he can go around bragging about how much theology he's got down and how orthodox he is? As important as orthodoxy is? No, he wants understanding so that he will actually put it into practice what he knows he says give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart listen speaking of Paul Green who we had the privilege of praying for earlier I know that Dave always tells the story of when we were asking opinions on what we should do in Atlantic City um, and Dave can help me in this I might not say this correctly but I'll get it close Paul says I don't know I'm not in Atlantic City I'm not from Atlantic City I don't know the unique issues of Atlantic City Right? And the point is, Jesus will give you wisdom. 
He will guide you through his word. He will, he will show you. You'll have to ask him about how to apply the great principles we learn about Christian community development, uh, mercy ministry, and, and so on. How to pursue racial reconciliation. God will show you that, but you need to ask for wisdom. And that goes, it's true for everything else. Our outreach, our discipleship, worship, and it especially applies to how to live a godly and upright life in a fallen and sinful world. We need understanding of God's word and how to apply it. Now the Bible tells us that we should be getting counsel from godly, uh, godly counselors. But surely the first place we should go for counsel is where? God's word. That's the first spot. And we should be pouring over it, asking the Holy Spirit, Oh, Spirit, open up to me the meaning of this word of yours so that I might do it. We've got to pray to the author of the word for the grace and the wisdom to understand it. So we sing and pray along with the psalmist, verse 124 and 25. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. One, one quote, one last quote, and then we're getting into our second and last point. Surprise, surprise, it's from my buddy Dick Lucas. But here's some excellent words of his. He says, here in the Psalter, I learned not only what God has to say to the believer, but also a pattern of what the believer will be saying to his God. Right? Christian spirituality is essentially responsive. I love that. And that's where we need help today. Hello? We need a benchmark for our singing, for our praying, for our thinking, for our aspirations, for our meditation. So that our response to God in all those areas may be worthy and wise and wholesome. Isn't that awesome? I need a benchmark for how to sing, how to pray, how to think. And where does that benchmark come from? The Word of God. And how much we need to be praying to understand it. For the very purpose of putting it into practice. And that's the second and last thing I want to point out uh, from Psalm 119 that David prays for. He prays for an understanding of the word, but mainly so that he'll have the power to live it. Something very interesting, if you look at the beginning of the psalm, you'll see that David sets forth the blessedness of those who walk according to the law of the Lord. Look at the first few verses, verses 1 to 4. Blessed are they, they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Now look. <laughs> At the very core of his being, this was David's desire, wasn't it? The main thrust of his life was aiming to walk in God's ways more consistently. Look, just like many of us, he longed to live this blessed life more consistently and more regularly. I don't know about you, but since the day I came to know Jesus, that's been my struggle. It's been my struggle 
to bridge that gap between uh, justification, where I'm declared righteous, and sanctification, where I'm actually living righteously. That's a huge gap too often in my life, and I want to see that gap go slowly, get closer together. Are you with me? And so this is, this is the heart of, of a regenerate believer who's experienced the grace of God. And so he sets forth the desire of his heart. Listen, the law of God can't save us. We know that. It's a yoke that no one can carry. It's a burden that no one can bear if you're looking to it as a way of salvation. Amen. But once you realize Jesus fulfilled the law for you, and then he died to pay the penalty that, that you, because of your sins, because you couldn't keep the law, then you look at the law, like David's looking at it here, you look at it as a law of freedom. You look at it as the guidance that God gives you on how to live this life. The author of this life tells you, this is the way to live so that you'll be free. We think we're free when we go and live any way we want to, and then what? We become slaves to the sinful habits that we think that we wanted. But when we walk in God's ways, guess what? The path is broad. We are free. We are delivered from these besetting sins that drag us down. Here's what I want you to see. David sets forth this beautiful thing that's in his heart. But look at verse 5. Please, don't miss this. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. What's he saying? I wish that was me. God, that's what I wish. Oh, I wish I was more steadfast. Indeed, a good portion of Psalm 119, David sings and he prays for just that. Help to stay loyal to God and to his word. Because here's the point. How do you stay loyal to God? By staying loyal to his word. <coughs> Jesus said, if my words abide in you. Right? Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. That's his, that's his struggle. I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. Verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart so I would not sin against you. Verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. Verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 132. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. And then listen. Listen to this prayer. Because it should be our prayer. Let no sin rule over me. Sometimes my prayer life gets stagnant. And sometimes, even when I pray, it's the same old plateaus. You ever been there? So when you take the word of God, especially the Psalms, which are prayers set to music, it helps us to remember what we should be praying for. And one of the prayers I know I need to be praying more is, let no sin rule over me. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You gave yourself for me. You've gave me this wonderful, these words of life that if walked and if lived out would be a blessing and would bring me freedom in life even in the midst of struggle and trials and hardship and the messed upness of this world. So of course as you look at this you know we have to ask 
Doesn't this strike a chord in your own heart as you read these words as a believer? <coughs> Don't you long for what you believe and profess to believe to come out more consistently in your daily life? Do you long for God to direct your footsteps more in the ways of his word of truth? To be free from the entanglements and dominance of a besetting sin? For many of us, and I, I especially speak for myself, our prayers could use an infusion of this type of prayer. Asking God in prayer and in song to turn to us and to have mercy, to direct our footsteps according to his word, to protect us from having any sin rule over us. Now this was a big aha for me this past week. You can't read and study this prayer without being struck with how different the focus of the psalmist prayers are compared to ours. Think about this. Although he does pray for deliverance from persecution, he does pray that. He's not pseudo-spiritual or overly spiritual to ask for help. But there is something I want you to see. And go home and read the psalm over and over if you want to test it. I want you to see this. He's more concerned with praying for grace and help to stay true to his God than for deliverance from temporal suffering. I want you to see that. Uh, Phillips Brooks, he was an old Puritan. He said some good things. He once said this. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. That's what the psalmist prays. And then he says, Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Amen. Somebody's actually living out God's word. We've got to say, God's at work there. Every day, he says, You shall wonder at yourself at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. Good point. Another neat thing I read this week, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I like to just say that name. And then the fact that I could pronounce that is kind of crazy. But he wrote in A Day in the Life of Ivan, now this, Den Denisovich. He says, Ivan endures all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. One day he was praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner noticed him and said with ridicule, prayers won't help you get out, any, out of here any faster. Opening his eyes, Ivan answers, I don't pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. That's convicting, isn't it? And isn't that, that's the great goal of every true believer is, Lord, help me to do your will no matter if I can't pay the bills. No matter if my spouse leaves me. No matter if my kids go astray. No matter if my um, uh, evangelism explosion ends up being a crackle and a pop and a fizz. We miss a huge piece of this puzzle if we fail to grasp that David has been crying for God to keep crying out for God to keep him loyal to himself and his word in the midst of persecution from the wicked, as well as apostasy of faithless Israelites. You have to see there are different clues in this text, in, in this psalm, that shows you that David was being persecuted, he was being hounded, and on top of that, he was dealing with false brothers. Which is a heartbreaker, isn't it? 
and to see people fall away from the Lord and then turn and mock you who used to work, walk with you to the house of God to worship God. He's in the midst of all that. And I think what we see in this um, psalm, which is very powerful to me, is David's chief concern is, oh Lord, I know my own heart and I know that apart from you I would go there too. And he wants his Lord to have mercy and to keep him to the end. A few verses on this. Verse 51, the arrogant mock me without restraint, but I don't turn from your law. Verse 61, though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. 78, may the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. 84 and 85, how long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. A few more, 86, all your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. 113, I hate double-minded men, but I love your law. There's more, but I'll stop for now. David's desire of his heart is to remain loyal and true to his faithful God and to his holy word, even in the midst of persecution, trouble, hardship, and the unfaithfulness of some of his own people. What we see here, and I want to close with this, is David is unashamedly a man of the word and prayer. And it's because of that fact that he's also a man of integrity, humility, and honesty. So I want you to look with me as we close to the last stanza of this psalm. I want you to see this because this is where I hope you will be greatly encouraged. Verse 176. After all this wonderful thing about I keep your law, I love your law, I do your law, I love your... He says this. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. I'll tell you why it was encouragement to me, because what is a blameless man, according to, as the Bible uses the term? What's an upright woman or a godly young person? Well, I'll tell you what it's not, what they're not. It's not a perfect or a sinless person. As the blameless strive to live a life more in keeping with the word of God, they will humbly acknowledge when they depart from it and ask God, ask God to come find them when they've gone astray. Listen, isn't that true of your own life? I hope it is. As much as you love God's word, as much as you, you strive to put it into practice, memorize it, pray it, live it, how often you fall. Amen? You fail to keep it. And so when you do, what's God's way of dealing with it? Confessing it. And crying out to him for mercy. And I love the fact that David says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant.
prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. Isn't that what the hymn writer sings? If you're a believer here, isn't that what your heart sings? We don't read the word and study the word and meditate on the word and commit it to our minds and then pray it to God as a guide for our heart cry to him as people who have it all together, as people who could brag. We do so as people who are in desperate need of the shepherding and of the grace and of the mercy and of the restoration of a holy and gracious God. We do it as people who are in Christ Jesus, who have experienced his mercy and his grace, and is weak and is failing and is struggling, and as many times we've got to keep getting up and we have scars all over our butt from falling. We know our home. And we know where we want to be. And we know what our, we want our lives to be. So this morning I want to encourage you from our brother David. And as the Spirit spoke through his words to us. To not only commit God's word to memory. But to now pray over it. To pray for understanding of it. And to pray that your gracious God and King would more and more conform your life to it. And that even when you fail, you would let his promises encourage you to go back to him and ask him to bring you back on the path when you've strayed. Not if. Right? On this side of glory, not if. When. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two powerful habits. Committing your word to our hearts and minds. And the habit of praying your word back to you. From renewed hearts that desire so much more for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters. Lord, not just that the church would be less racist, but we would be less racist. Not just that the church would be more loving, but that we would be more loving. And Lord, not just that the church would be more faithful and loyal to your word, but God, please have mercy. And by your grace, may we more and more be loyal and show our loyalty by putting your word into practice. But we pray this morning, each and every one of us, that you would seek your servants, for we have strayed as lost sheep, but we have not forgotten your word. It's in Jesus' name, the great shepherd, that we pray. Amen.